can he be successful enough to kind of rip that job from uh, from Latroy Hawkins' cold, dead hands? I really liked that acquisition. I think that he's going to shock some folks. Very interested in Shane Green. There must be like somebody's boss that watches these games through Twitter because, damn it, these tweets are out of control this spring. Given the that Tim Federovich or whatever is his backup. By the way, I got to give you credit on Federovich. I know you've I, I've heard you talk. I do listen to the <laughs> podcast. I've heard you talk about having player pronunciation issues. Welcome to episode 208 of the Sleeper in the Bus. It's your Tuesday edition. I am Paul Spore, joined as always on Tuesdays by Mr. Eno Saris. Eno, how are you today? I'm good. Uh, now it's an ear infection. I was going to say, I, an ear infection I, I knew the, I knew the child the was sick, but are, are you avoiding uh, catching whatever he yeah. has now? You can't catch an ear infection, but uh, uh, he was up last night three times, and I had to sleep in his bed for a little bit, and then he's home today, and it's just uh... anyway, parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> you're 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 inviting everyone into parenthood lately with the uh, with the opens of the shows that we've been talking about. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's dying to do it after hearing everything lately. Uh, yeah, I, hopefully, hopefully your, your child gets back on a health track, uh, as the, as we hit spring and, and, and go into summer, I think it's the worst to be sick in the, in when the weather's nice. It, it's one thing, yeah. you know, when it's the winter, it's kind of almost expected once a year for, for me at least, but when it's summer and I start coming down with something, oh my God, that's, that's the worst. But, um, Let's hope that you can stay healthy. Like you said, you can't catch an ear infection, so hopefully he doesn't pass anything else on to you. We've got some baseball news to discuss, but first, as always, I want to mention Twitter. You can reach us both on there. I am at Sporer, S-P-O-R-E-R, and Eno is at Eno Saris. That's all one word, E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We greatly appreciate that. We're at four and a half stars with 138 ratings, which is awesome. I really appreciate that. 108 of you uh, gave us five stars. And obviously those aren't all with me in there, so I can't take credit for all of those. But, uh, you know, Eno's been there for, for a large number of them. And I'm looking over the recents, you know, and since February, we've got that one guy who, who gave me a hot one star, basically said that I ruined it. <laughs> Uh, but then everyone else since then is a five star. So, you know, either that guy is ahead of the curve or he's wrong. <laughs> well, one of the two. That's all I'll say. Uh, Y'all can leave it up to your interpretation. Uh, but now that that's out of the way, let's talk about some news. This one's ugly because of what it does to the ball club that was already terrible. And it's uh, for the Colorado <laughs> Rockies. Jorge De La Rosa is going to start the season on the disabled list with a groin injury. That's in addition to the fact that they just said that. Yeah, Luis, Luis Chassin, you're too crappy for our rotation, which is now so unbelievably bad. Obviously, you're already starting anybody anytime they can get within, you know, sniffing distance of Coors Field. But now it's just anytime they're playing the Rockies. I don't care if it's in San Diego with the fences pushed back 10 more feet. I would still start anybody possible against that rotation. Kyle Kendrick is the opening day guy. And I don't know who else is in it right now, except for oh, Tyler Matzik, a guy I actually like a little bit. Uh, but beyond that, who are the scrubs that we're dealing with here? I'm, I'm trying. I can't even rattle them off the top of my head. 
that's how bad it is. Because, um, you know, the guys that will kind of matter at some point, maybe Eddie Butler and John Gray are not going to be in there. So it's Jordan Lyles, David Hale, and it looks like Roster Resource has Butler sliding in there. So Matzik and Butler I like a little, but this is awful, you know. Well, you know what? Uh, John Gray is actually still with the Major League oh, team. Oh, good. So he has a chance, too. I think he has a chance. And, you know, obviously, uh, from a stuff perspective, he's probably the best of the group. I mean, um, uh, Kylie put a 60 on his fastball and slider and a 55 on his changeup and a 45-plus on his command. So um, he really likes uh, he really likes Gray. And for what it's worth, his minor league numbers were pretty pretty good so um you know i think uh without being super lucky in any one place um he 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 was he was good so i think gray is probably i don't know if i would uh push him all the way to mixed league relevant but you know i think um i have uh let's see in the 80s um in the mid 80s i have wei in chen uh ruanus elias uh john niece danny duffy uh, this is more than 90s. Maybe maybe I'd put him in the low 90s with like a Joe Kelly. Yeah. Start start to bump him yeah, up right. in there. I, I agree. Obviously, to start the season, I had him much lower than that because you don't know when he's going to get up. Yeah. But now when you're starting to yeah. look at this attrition here, he, he could he, John Gray could get in there much sooner. So if you are in a mixed league that, that does you know draft a handful of prospects at the end to try to hit on them and you do have a reserve roster, maybe take a gamble on him even ahead of guys who are, are, are better right this instant, you know, who might, might be ready to deliver right this instant, like a Dylan G or you, know, you even mentioned John Neese, his teammate. Sure, those guys are fine, but if you're in a 12-team mixer, there's Dylan G's and John Neese's all over the joint. So take your yeah. John Gray, see what happens, and if he doesn't even make the club or flames out early, just cut him and pick up the next Dylan G. Like, it, it's so easy to replace that. So I would take the gamble at that point on somebody like that. So, But the rest of that rotation— Yeah, like I, like I had I have Neese at 92, and I have Discafani at 99, uh, and would put Gray somewhere in between, but I would— you know, in a lot of leagues, most leagues, I'd probably take Disclafani and Gray over Nice, just uh, for what you're saying. I, I think I have to, I have to balance that in these rankings. You have to balance that with the guys who are in onlys or in in deep leagues, and then Nice's floor. We've talked about this a lot, but Nice's floor would become more Absolutely. important. Absolutely, uh, exactly. So once you start, if you start getting really deep, like a deep NL only, you know, you got to have a couple Nices in there to stabilize your innings, but maybe go an extra buck on a Gray. And, and then you're rostering both at that point. But in a mixed league, you can take the gambles late with these guys uh, because somebody like Gray could be a high impact, even in Colorado. The rest of the rotation, though, is shaky. Even a guy like Matzik, who I, who I mentioned I like as a deep sleeper, doesn't mean he's a stud by any stretch. So you can kind of... We're getting, we're getting close to my super deep sleeper. I think he might, uh, as of today, be in the rotation. Mr. David, David Hale. Hale. Yeah, he, I've, I've got him. Every every depth chart I've seen so far, both Roster Resource and MLB, have him in there. Talk to us about him because you did – I think you got some uh, – he got some good love when you were doing your pitch arsenal stuff. So talk to us about him and how could he really play in Colorado? Well, he's <laughs> – depth charts has him projected for a 514 ERA. That could be so, rough. Uh, that's pretty – <laughs> but, you know, even last year when he had a, a 4.5 K, K9, he had a 8.7% swinging strike rate, which is, uh, you know, just about average or above average. So, um, 
and you know he has a history of sort of up and down command in the minors, and you can you can you can literally he goes four walks for nine, two walks for nine, four walks so for nine, literally two and up and down. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you know, with command, if he starts adding called strikes to some of those swinging strikes, I think you know that's where you start seeing upside. In terms of his arsenal, yeah, his his curve is above average. And then today, um, I did a piece on the shape of. Uh, I did this a piece on the shape of uh, of people's changeups, and um, you know I didn't actually put David Hale in just because um, I found other names on the list more more exciting. But in terms of movement, uh, his changeup is above average in most respects. So um, in terms of horizontal vertical movement and gap with his fastball, so he is at least a fastball change guy, uh, which is a decent place to start from because you've got a platoon buster and you've got it. So you know, if his curve isn't as good in Colorado, but somehow it's his good command year, I mean, he, he could he could do it. I mean, even though curves aren't as effective in Colorado, and that was part of Chassin's problems, his curve is the best pitch, and away from home, it was a decent pitch. But at home, he lost like two inches of movement on it in each direction. So it was just, you know, a flat slurve as opposed to like a big curve. Um, you know, and so that's going to affect David Hale, and that's going to affect his ceiling. But um, you know, if he finds a slider, cutter, slutter, whatever, anything that makes a breaking ball work along with his fastball change and he finds a look, man. I mean, these are these are the things that make him a deep league well, guy. Here, here, you know, here's another, another use, though. If, if he does start to show some things and they're out on the road, all of a sudden as a DFS SP number two. You can get, you can roster a guy like David Hale for nothing. He's not, he wouldn't cost anything unless he just gets out of the gate extraordinarily well. And and then you, it's a chance to get a leg up because in some of those giant DFS tournaments where you're, you're with the big prize where you're facing you know several thousand guys, you can't just go for the obvious names. You got to go off the beaten path every once in a while and try to strike it big. A guy like Hale could maybe give you a decent enough day at a very low price as an SP two. So there. There are yeah, other uses. I, I think, yeah, I honestly think that pitching is probably, especially that SP2 slot is probably one of the best paces uh, to, to get a value because, uh, you know, the pitching, a pitcher's fortunes change so much based on who, what the lineup is he's facing that day and what park exactly. it's in. And, and I know that's true for hitters too, but uh, there's so much potential value from uh, a pitcher in a good park on a good day. Uh, you know, think about a, a cold day. Um, think about a cold night game in San Diego. Uh, most games, night games in Oakland. Uh, th- these are cold games. Hell, just and if you had April at, at large is cold. Just, just, just April yeah, in general yeah. is cold. And, people, and and the prices won't have caught up. So even if Hale is having a good year, you'll be able to see it by the fact that his command numbers are good, and you might want to look at balls and strikes, um, you know, and, and try to get ahead of just straight walks. Uh, look at maybe zone rate, but also just look at the what he's throwing. You know, how many pitches is he throwing and how effective well, I'd say we made the best uh, of a bad situation there with the Colorado rotation. <laughs> we gave you some names to actually look at here, so keep an eye, and we'll keep you guys updated, of course. In, in Tampa Bay, it looks like Nick Franklin is going to miss the start of the season with, his, with an oblique injury, which is a big bummer for him because it looks like he finally had – um, a, a starting spot kind of carved out to begin the season, second base for Tampa Bay, but now that's going to be put on hold. And, you know, he's still young enough, but we're just getting closer and closer to the fact that this guy's just might not pan out to the way we want it. And of course, 24, I'm not going to write him off entirely. 
and he hasn't had a ton of plate appearances in the major leagues, only 502. So, you know, just under kind of a foolish season. Um, but I'm just, I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little nervous here. He's still a guy I'll take a look at because of a middle infielder who can, with some power and speed, but how do you feel about Nick Franklin, especially now that he's going to start the season on a disabled list? Well, uh, did I trade him to you? Um, <laughs> in, in score sheet? No, I do not. I no, I no longer else. have, I, I do not have Nick Franklin there. So you must've traded him elsewhere. Well, it's funny to think about, you know, the fact that he's been hurt a lot. I do know that, um, you know, he's had knee sort of problems. He had a foul ball and, you know, on and off there's been some knee stuff. But um, there's a, a note here for 50 game, 50 days in the minors, uh, some sort of injury that's not disclosed on his, on his thing. So I don't know exactly what that is. Otherwise, I would say, you know, it's more effectiveness that's been his problem um, rather than... Uh, than anything else. Yeah. So, I, you know, yeah. I, I, I do think that the, the, the reason that we're kind of excited about him is that when given a chance at, uh, at, at a level the second time in the minors, he, he improved. And, that, you know, that's something you expect to see. You always expect to see uh, a batter do better on, on, on a second time around. But it's also something that you is sort of necessary. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like if, if he wasn't any good and he just did the same thing again, uh, then we could say, okay, he has a strikeout problem. He was in AAA uh, three straight years, and he struck out 23% every time. But he was in AAA, he struck out 23% of the time, then he struck out 11% of the time, then he struck out 18% of the time. I think that's enough improvement um, in the subsequent attempts at AAA that uh, I'm willing to say that it's possible that he pushes his strikeout numbers to where he's projected, 22 23%. And if he can push it to 22 23% and have just league average batted ball luck, then we're talking about a 250 hitter with double-digit power and speed, and that's why everybody's interested in him, especially in on-base percentage leagues, because he, he's shown some good things, you know. So he could be a, a 320, 330 on-base percentage guy with double-digit power and speed, you know, probably at shortstop and second. But yeah, I mean, right now uh, it's hard to hard to bet on him. I think he, you know, he's out of contention for me in mixed leagues, even at OBP Definitely. mixed leagues, and he's. Uh, I think he's, uh, you know, a lock for, you know, sort of your deep league MI play and that sort of deal. I don't know exactly what it opens up. I mean, uh, you know, Logan Forsythe, I guess. I mean, whatever. You know, get another shot. Tim Beckham might make that roster. That's so. true. That, that he, could, he could be somebody, former number one overall pick. Yeah, I, I really liked Franklin coming up. And so I'm definitely not off of him. I can't, full, I, I can't fully quit until I see more uh, in the majors. I, I want to give him a, a, a larger shake than what we've seen so far. But definitely have lowered the ceiling that I had for him when he was first coming up. So we'll see if uh, Nick Franklin can get help. You know. None of those guys is 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 taking over his slot as a, a deep league sleeper. I, you know, Logan Forsythe to me right now is like a, a deep league daily play where you just like a deep daily league where you can just have him for the beginning of the season, you know, and hope that one of your other guys works out. But by the time that Franklin's healthy exactly. again, you know, I, I don't think that's uh, Forsythe is any better than that. He, you know, he's projected for a sub 300 on base percentage, just like Tim as Beckham. Um, and, uh, you know, Beckham might offer a little bit of speed. Um, otherwise I doubt you could probably add up all the homers and steals between Tim Beckham and Logan Forsythe this year and may not make it to 10. By the way, um, that, that, that's insane. <laughs> that's, that's impossible. That's 
Captain Possum. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. That should have been one of my bold predictions. That would have been a good one. But by the way, our bold predictions are up. There's a bold predictions t- uh, category. So you can, you can, if you go to one of them, you'll be able to find all of them uh, on the site. A lot of great ones, a lot of great predictions being made in there. I love bold predictions. They're a lot of fun. Obviously, it kind of varies. Uh, what the de- you know, there's no standard definition for it. It's impossible to, but I think everyone does it very well in the spirit of being bold without being stupid. You know, uh, 28 homers and and 52 steals for Nick Franklin. Okay, that's dumb. You know, there's there's like a <laughs> half percent chance that that could ever happen. Uh, let's talk about Hector Oliveira, who has finally signed with a team that he's been linked to for a lot of this process, the Dodgers. They, they ink him for $62.5 million. I forgot to write down the years because I'm terrible at my job. Six years. There we go. Uh, so just over 10 mil per year. He is not a young guy. You know, he's not coming over like a, like a Yasiel Puig. I believe we just decided that at the very worst, this is his age, or at the very best, this is his age 29 season, but it's more likely his age 30 season because he's born in 1985. Talk to me about what you know about Hector Oliveira because this will be a learning experience for me. I only know the little bits I've picked up throughout this process of watching him or waiting for him to sign. So talk to us a bit about him, you know. Well, let's uh, turn back the clock and, and, uh... And say it's 2011 and, and, uh, or, or 2012. He's coming in 2012. He's uh, 27. And he's coming off a season in which he hit 341 with 17 homers in Cuba. And uh, looks like the offensive powerhouse that uh, the Dodgers just paid for. So, um, you know, that's, that's not that long ago. That's two years by way, ago. By the way, and- uh, just for reference in 264 plate appearances were those 17 homers that wasn't a full season at all so he dominated he really dominated that year so go ahead right so that i mean that was that was that was a real good season for him um and even in in, if you look at uh, i've got the davenport translations open clay davenport's translations are my favorite and even if you do just a regular translation on those stats uh to major league stats he had a 292 375 489 slash line so I mean, uh, that's that would that would fit with uh, that that would put him in the sort of top three at third base. Um, so that's that's why they paid him this money. The only problem is that that was 2012, um, and uh, you know I I gotta I gotta call this up, but you know I'm sure that in 2012 uh, there were some sweet third basemen that you wouldn't want uh, on your team anymore. Um, so, uh, you know, in that, in the meantime, since that happened, um, he's become a, uh, he's, he's all sorts of weird things have happened to him. His UCL might be hurt. And then he, he said that that it wasn't hurt and that was, you know, vicious rumors or whatever. Um, and then he, he, he couldn't even make it through workouts for teams. Like he was tired in the middle of a workout God! and he's got some weird, energy problems and then and those things have limited him to 100 uh plate appearances a year for the last two years um uh just for reference real quick uh basically he was chase was, headley in 2000 that's exactly what i was going to say was that yeah chase headley was that guy who was the all everything the next big thing and obviously he's kind of fallen down to be okay obviously this year he's it's almost an exact match actually Headley was 286, 376, 498. So um, maybe Chase Headley without the speed. I mean, that's that's. 
but you know, look at Chase Headley today to know that that you know the two years between twenty seven and twenty eight and thirty are are a big mm-hmm. deal. Um, you know, that being said, Chase Headley almost got sixty million. Uh, so I guess you know if you really believe these translated numbers, then then you're all over it. But I think these other things are kind of weird. I mean, just the fact that he couldn't he couldn't play, and then his numbers really suffered. Uh, particularly, particularly his power numbers really fell off. And his translated numbers uh, for the last two seasons, I'll just give you last season's translated numbers, 254, 302, 390. Not awesome. Yeah, not awesome. I mean, uh, to put that I was going to say, say, say uh, those numbers again, 254. Uh, 254, 302, 390. Mm. So that would make him, um, that would make him, uh, Chris Johnson. Oh, Cool. Yeah, Chris Johnson. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, I guess Nick Castellanos last year. I was going to say, yeah. But, well, but Castellanos is way exactly. younger and, you know, a lot more going on there. I think Chris Johnson is the better Chris Johnson, comp. Chris Johnson, maybe David Freeze. Uh, uh, also close Johnson, to those numbers. 30 years old. Chris Johnson, 30 so years perfect. old. perfect. So uh, he went from Chase Headley to Chris Johnson. Now, they're betting on him to go back. And th- I did want to make one point from a real-life baseball standpoint. You know, they might have three of the biggest Cuban busts on their team. If Olivera busts, they had Ara Berwena, who was like $30 million. He's a bust. Alex Guerrero was $30 million. He's a bust. So they might have $100 million of bust, of Cuban bust on their team. And Puig, by being worth, you know, $100 million and costing them 40 or whatever, is going to pay back almost all Yeah, cancels out. Although the, the thing is, didn't they have Puig first out of the group? So it's like they got the first big one and then took on. Yeah, they should have just yeah, stopped. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they won on their first scratch-off, and instead of just taking the scratch-off lottery ticket money, they went ahead and bought a bunch more and, and subsequently <laughs> lost. So uh, It could work out. And for them, it, it means a lot because, you know, I think Juan Uribe is a, is a really good – like on a on, – on the kind of team that Dodgers seem to be building, like a, a, a juggernaut, a real big team, then Juan Ribe is a better utility. Absolutely, guy. I, I agree. And oh. and you know, I'll give Guerrero. I'll see what's up this year before I'll go flat out bust. But obviously, the money they're paying him, they already lost a season. Now their hands, you know, can be forced this year to where they can't send him down. So it's it's a lot of money invested. Uh, those are the three big news items I wanted to cover right now: two injuries and, and the signing. Now we're going to start our, our starting pitcher preview. It's going to be part one here we're going to kind of cover the top 50 uh or so guys and we'll talk strategy first and that'll focus mostly on the upper guys the the upper part of that tier maybe the top 15 ish or so and then when we do the player talk we'll focus more on the guys from kind of 16 to 50 ish because i think those are going to be more valuable to really discuss in depth like what are we really going to be able to say about max scherzer or felix hernandez or of course kershaw or kluber etc that that you don't already know or that isn't already out there kind of being discussed so Let's talk about strategy first. The, the obvious question right off the bat, uh, because of the age that we're in now, the, the offensive era and the pitching era that we're in, just kind of the way the game is, a first-round pitcher is now a, a more viable solution. Obviously, there's one firmly in the first round. That's Kershaw. But then guys like Hernandez, even, uh, even Scherzer is kind of creeping in there. Sale was getting in there a bit before his foot injury. So now we've seen guys – 
really be in the first round here, and it's very interesting. Are you on the first round train? And uh, make it that a two-part question. First with Kershaw, would you do it? And then would you do anybody else there, or would you take anybody else in the first round as a pitcher? I definitely I, – I guess I would say that I wouldn't take him in the top four or five, so that means I wouldn't okay. take him because that's where he's going. But if, if he somehow fell to me at the back end of the first round um, – you know, and Edwin Encarnacion was off the board, and I was looking at something like Kershaw versus Donaldson or Tulo. Um, I think that the injury risk, especially with Tulo, actually probably is somewhat equal to a pitcher. Sure. And, and Tulo, in fact, strikes me like uh, an ace, like an ace starting pitcher, where you know you, you're you're taking the risk that he blows an ACL or something. It's almost like Tommy John, and uh, when he's in there, he's going to be good. So, uh, you know, I could, I, I could really see it at 10, 11, 12 um, in there. I, I'd, I'd probably get on board. But when you're talking these big sluggers, I mean, Miguel Cabrera or Clayton Kershaw, I'm sorry. I mean, it, it's definitely tough. Obviously, Jason and I took him three, uh, thinking that we could get enough offense, and, and we feel we did a good job with that. But it's hard to pass up some of those guys there in, in the upper part. Uh, of the first round, like you mentioned, a Cabrera, obviously McCutcheon has the uh, injury now that, that they're scaring people off a little bit. I've seen him. I saw him go seventh in a draft, which was insane. I wasn't in that draft or else there's no chance in hell he would fall that far. Um, let's say 15. <laughs> so based on your answer, I'm, I'm guessing no, but 15 team mixed league pick 14 or 15. You're not even looking at any other pitcher at that point. If you're if you're not taking Kershaw in the early part, I doubt you're you're sneaking a Scherzer or a Felix in there. Is that correct? Well, actually, I think Scherzer is going to really love the National uh, League. It's going to be great. Not only just moving from AL to NL, but the the two dead teams in that division, Philly and Atlanta. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. You got to bump up even the 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 middle tier or the low tier guys. Your Jared Cozarts need to get an upgrade. Your your Henderson Alvarez is of the world need to need to get bumped up. Even the G and the Nice that we were talking about. Well, for the Mets, I think everyone in that division needs to get bumped up a tick because of the two. I mean, those are two dead teams. Those those offenses are horrific. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, he could have a real nice canine. And if you're you're talking at him and like sort of uh, 12, 13, 14 type numbers, um, you know, I think, you know, he's he's uh, he's just going to blow him away. And he already. Uh, was a 10 last year. So, you know, get him back up to 11 and 12, uh, get him under three. I think he's going to be uh, very Kershaw. Yeah. And uh, we, we haven't really, um, you know, for all, for all it's worth, you know, there used to be all this consensus that Max Scherzer was going to be hurt. I know. And that his, his delivery and mechanics were bad and all that. And for what it's worth, you know, he's been healthy. Whereas, you know, people don't talk about Kershaw's delivery, which I think is a little bit weird looking. It's honestly. very weird. It's, got that toe tap and um he's all big and kind of herky-jerky but um you know he's the one who had an injury last this is year. a dumb thing to care about but I, I actually hate using him on on a video game because of the slow delivery like when i'm, I'm playing <laughs> i want to kind of keep keep it moving let's go let's go um and and his and obviously some of the the asian deliveries and alex cobbs is a little slow and i'm like god i, I like pitching with these guys because they're awesome but it's so dang slow pick up the pace but obviously yeah. it's part of what makes kershaw kershaw so if you're out on the first round, mostly, you know, unless things don't break the way you want, but most chance, most times you're probably going to get the one of the hitters that you like in that first round. Um, 
non-first round early starting pitchers. So we'll say rounds two through five. When do you like to get your first one, and how many do you like to get in those in those uh, four rounds? In the first four in, rounds. In the in the second four, uh, I I should say the second through fifth. So that that four round group. If you if you don't have it in, so we'll just say first five rounds. How many do you like to have, and when do you most comfortably like to take your first? I often come out of the first five rounds. Okay. Zero. So you're still you're still you're still kind of in the in the school of the, from a couple of years ago when when pitching wasn't as overwhelming saying, you know what, I don't need one in those first five rounds. I'm going to load up offense and I'll make up for it uh, later. Yeah, and I just think that, um, you know, the way that just the for me, it's very compelling that the year to year correlation on pitching projections to, to next year's numbers are way lower than hitters. Uh, I think that's very compelling to me because that means that pitchers have uh, more things they can change from year Definitely. to year. And that feeds right into my research on sort of Arsenal stuff. And, and um, you know, think back to Jason Collette last year. At the beginning of the year, he did uh, new pitches. He collected new pitches. And the joke was that it was going to be like best year of your life, but it's not because there are a lot of new He's pitches. He's collecting them again, and by the way. Of- I know he doesn't. He isn't able to write for us anymore because of time, but he is still collecting them, and I can post a link so people can find them. So he'll he'll be he'll be tracking those again. Continue. Those are awesome. Those are awesome. And then there's stuff that they, they don't even talk about that they just do quietly that that turns out to be huge. I mean, especially with fastball changes. I mean, those guys. I think Alan Webster, if he stopped throwing his four seam today, would be a better pitcher. So. Uh, of course, he told me that he needed to throw the four seam in order to command the two seam, but he, you know he's not really commanding. Anything, so. <laughs> I was going to say to command uh, something that sounds funny from him. Okay, yeah, so, right, so, so so if you're passing in those first five rounds, how many do you like to have by say round ten? Then I like to have two. Okay, or three. Okay, so then you use that so, that second five rounds to get a couple guys, and you're getting them. Uh, with those, that's that's a nice upside tier to really dip into, though, because you're getting guys like Jacob Degrom, you know, maybe a Tyson Ross. I'm just naming names, not necessarily guys that you like, but that type, Garrett Richards, um, Michael Waka, et cetera, et cetera. So that that that's where you start plucking guys, and you want to come out with a couple at that point, then. Yeah, yeah, I think so, and you know, it, it's nice. The, what I will do and, and push it a little bit is try to get a back-end top 15 guy. That's when I will end up having uh, someone in the top five okay. uh, round. So, um, you know, I've been pushing it a little bit just because you can't zig so hard when everyone's zagging. I mean, you, I like to zig when everyone's zagging, but I, I'm not – I used to pick my first pitcher in the 10th round. Me too. Um, and I think ever since that day, which was – you know, probably 2002, 2003 type stuff. Um, I think the industry has been pushing upwards. And if you do that today, I think you end up with a poor quality staff. It's, it's so. tough. It's, you have to do a lot of work and, and you have to get lucky flat out. You, you do have to get lucky. And, then, and I think also you're at your, you start stretching your, your free agency. I don't know if you necessarily every league has a free agency auction budget, budget where they have to buy free agency, but you, you have a limited amount of moves often. Um, or you have your waiver, your your waiver spot that you have to watch. There's there's usually a cost associated with the free agency stuff, and maybe sometimes it's just attention. Maybe you spend all of your attention trying to improve your staff, 
that means that you probably won't uh, be the first guy to get saved. Or, or get this year's J.D. Martinez when he uh, jumps out of the gate, things right. like that. No, it's a great right. it's a great point about the fact that there's always a cost because very few leagues just do fastest finger and no repercussions for it anymore. So whether it's, like you said, whether budget or wa- waiver wire positioning or, or move uh, quota, you got something and you're going to have to spend so much time there. So you, you do want to get in before round 10. I used to be right there with you. I wouldn't take anybody until – you know, round nine at the earliest and then just load up, but you, you got to have a couple. Let, let's talk some, some specific players. Some of these guys that you're looking at in those uh, rounds six through 10. And we're going to start with, we're going to do some groupings here again, like we did. Uh, I think that was at third base that we did that. Uh, we're going to start with some high upside risky arms and they're risky due to injury. And this grouping includes Matt Harvey, of course, Garrett Richards, Masahiro Tanaka, Alex Cobb, Michael Waka, and Andrew Kasher. They've all got, Something injury-related that's kind of hanging over them. Obviously, uh, Harvey of that bunch is probably the the cleanest health-wise because he just looks so great. And yes, he's returning from Tommy John, but it's currently not impacting him. Waka uh, doesn't have anything with the shoulder impacting him right now, but it cost him a lot of time last year, so he belongs on there. Kashner and Cobb never come close to a full season. Tanaka appears to be having his elbow hang on by a thread. And of course, Richards is returning from the, from the leg injury. So let's talk about this group um, and, and just go ahead and pick out your, your, your favorite name from it. And, and, and we'll go from there. Cause we're not going to get to talk about every single one. I think I, I'll just pick Matt Harvey because I think it encapsulates uh, some of the injury issues going on the rest. Uh, I did. I do want to say one thing I did see just on Twitter sort of passing by someone Saying that you know an about an evaluator in the game, which is uh, bull, you know bull crap most of the time. It's, it's like sources, yes. you know. But that someone did say that like they thought forty percent of of UCLs had a partial tear. So um, that would be kind of amazing to me, and that's something I'm gonna try and ask uh, people about. I don't know if anybody will talk to me about it, and that seems to be sort of a private topic. But uh, maybe Dave or Getty will will have something to tell me about that. But in any case. Um, the nice thing about Matt Harvey is, is he doesn't actually have a partial tear in his ligament because it was fixed. Yeah, it was really and I don't. I think we we're out of the woods when it comes to like um, Daniel Hudson or, or Brandon Beachy territory. I mean, he's already throwing. He's already looking good. He's already getting into the fifth, sixth round. There's been no setbacks. He took the most amount of time he could take. I mean, I think he's really set um, to be in that honeymoon period. And Jeff Zimmerman found that there's like a 400 to 500 inning honeymoon period where even if they're going to have a second Tommy John, they're not going to have it that quickly. Oh, great. So, um, so I think Harvey is, is set to go for about uh, this season, next season, and then you know maybe his clock resets uh, this season after that. But um, in any case, he didn't have it in high school, and the earlier you have it, I think the more likely you, have it, you are to have it again. Sure. So, um, you know, I think Harvey, Harvey is in a good slot to, to give 180 innings um, and have them be, you know, 80 to 90% peak Harvey, which makes him, I think, a great pick. Um, you know, and he's the guy that I'm ending up with sometimes when I'm trying to get into that top 15 with a cheaper pick in sort of the fifth, sixth round. I'm willing to take Matt Harvey there because I just think that when he's healthy and he's, you know, Tanaka has shown that same ability, but Tanaka, I think, is riskier sure. because. He's pre-surgery. Yeah, he, you know? he hasn't had it yet. Um, I agree with you on Harvey. I've really changed my tune on him from the beginning of the offseason where I was coming in a bit more cautiously, and I had him in the in the mid-20s to start. Now I've got him all the way up to 14 on my on my pitching rankings because I just, you know, 
I don't need 200 innings to have a great season from him. I mean, look at what guys did last year in, in, in far less. You know, Jake Arrieta finished very high on the ESPN player Raider, and he only threw, what, 154 innings or something like that? So 180 from Matt Harvey after what we saw from him a couple two years ago is just insane. And I, I honestly, I couldn't believe, I thought he went at great prices uh, over the weekend in tout. 19 actually in both of the leagues, I think. So the 19 for the NL was obviously much better than in the mix, but I thought both were were strong, strong buys because I, I expected him to go north of 20. So great, great work there by folks. The guy I want to talk about is Tanaka. You kind of mentioned him. Um, I, I think there's a, a bit too much concern about him right now. And it's based on what you said kind of because um, – and it's not that I thought this. I didn't think that 40% of the league had partial tears. But what I thought was there's no way he's the only one operating with a partial tear. And it kind of goes mm-hmm. back to that point about how he doesn't even need a full season to deliver – big value. Maybe he does last for just three months, but that's enough for him to really return big value if he keeps pitching well. And he's been pitching well um, in spring training so far, and it's only been five and two thirds, so I'm not going to go crazy. And he's had some trouble commanding the bottom of the zone, but he's missing low, uh, so below the zone with it as opposed to up, which would be right in the middle. And, And so that was one thing that I noticed that was worrying me a little bit, but not that much because of where he's missing missed down as opposed to up, obviously. And so I think that, you know, outside of super deep leagues where it's going to be really tough to replace him. So, you know, like a 12 team AL only, uh, which will really thin out the pool, um, you know, or just like, I don't know, a 20 team mixer outside of anything like that. I'm really bumping him up and, and, and going to be more aggressive than the room on Tanaka, because I think even if I get an 120 innings or hundred innings, I can get enough value out of him uh, to make him make him worth it. He was great in 136 innings last year. He finished like 25th on the player Raider, and I'm getting him later than the 25th starter. So that's that's a pick that I'm interested in. I really like Tanaka this year because the price is way down. Now, in leagues where he's boosted up, I was in an AL-only auction last night. They were not offering a discount. He went for 27. Have at it, guys. But where he's being discounted, I'm going to jump in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like I yeah, said, I get I, the it, risk. It, it, it's a definite risk. If, if this thing is true, if this thing is true that that um, the pitchers are out there pitching with it, I mean, we know that Adam Wainwright managed to be good for a couple of years, you know, in this exact same situation. Exactly. Uh, that was that was highly publicized, and uh, who knows, you know, who else is is out there with a partial tear? And we also, you know, we don't know what partial means. You know, we don't know. You know, if it's 80% or 90% or 10%. So uh, I, I don't think that the team would give him the, the chance to do this if they didn't think there was a, at least some likelihood he could make it. That's what I think, too. Is, is if, 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 if they really thought that it's going to be, you know, seven innings <laughs> in the first week of April and then it's going to bust – they would just say, let's just get this done with. And and he doesn't look labored, or I'd have to ask Doug Thorburn, the me- mechanics guy who uh, co-wrote the starting pitcher guy with me, if, if he's seeing anything that, that is worrisome for him with regards to Tanaka's delivery in the two outings that we've seen so far. But I haven't seen anything. So 
I, I'm kind of moving, changing my tune on him, bumping him up a little bit. Let's talk some high upside risky arms, risk due to track record now. They have only done it for a year or maybe not even a full year yet. So we're a little bit nervous about them, but they were so electric that they're sp still being drafted highly. That's Tyson Ross, Jake Arrieta. By the way, Jake Arrieta could probably fit into the injury one too because he's been injured in the past and th has an arsenal conducive to injury. Uh, Jacob deGrom, Phil Hughes, and Alex Wood. Pick a guy out of this group that you like and, and, and talk to us about him. Uh, you know, choosing between Alex Wood and Jacob deGrom is a lot harder than my rankings would suggest. I have them uh, five or six spots apart. But um, in that kind of, uh, you know, sort of 15 to 20, uh, 25 um, are a lot of pitchers I'd like. I mean, in there, you'll find Cobb, Wood. Carrasco, Stroman, RIP, uh, Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom. So, you know, and, and Jake Arrieta rounds out before you get to 30. So 15 to 30 is, is where I eat. Yes. You know, that's where I love I'm to eat. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, picking between them is hard. And I, and I have wood ahead on my, on my, um, on my sheet, but I'll have to admit that just looking at it now and, you know, a couple of days, a few days later, and just thinking about how bad that friggin' Braves uh, offense looks and um, and then just looking at the Arsenal scores and the K-minus BB, I mean, they had exactly the same K-minus strikeout minus walk rate. And then uh, Jacob DeGrom's Arsenal score is better. Um, you know, Wood has been thought of as being more injury prone. Um, DeGrom was actually injured. Um so, you know, I think probably Wood is younger than DeGrom, and that might have been the sort of the way that I uh, cut the uh, – split the difference. Wood's 24, uh, and DeGrom I think is 25. Actually, 27. Yeah, I knew he was an older guy, but uh, yeah, so 27. So that's a, that's a sharp difference between the two age-wise. So, you know, in a keeper, I take – I guess I'll take Wood. Um, I know that the delivery is, is weird, but I think that I could probably get two or three good seasons – and sell at a peak than, um, you know, over DeGrom, who, uh, you know, also, I think there's less pedigree. You know, Wood was a little bit more supposed to do what he's doing now, whereas uh, DeGrom kind of came out of nowhere. And even as much as we know why he came out of nowhere and why these pitches now work and they didn't necessarily work in the same way in the minor leagues, you know, um, there's always still the chance. I mean, the numbers are betting for regression on him. Any projection you make for DeGrom is going to bet heavily on regression. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I'll, I'll just take, I'll take wood by a, a, a smidgen, but, um, I mean, I love them both. And I think both of those guys, if I could get wood and a Grom, I wouldn't feel bad at all about not being in the top 15, uh, with the aces. No. Yeah. Because if you can, if you can get to two arms with that kind of upside, uh, yeah. Why, why would you have to be that concerned? I, I agree with you there. This group, I, I do like this group. I, I will, uh, I'll focus a bit on Ross, you know, the, He's got the he's got the the injury risk hanging over him because the fact that he throws five million breaking balls like that, I mean it, it's it's through the roof, but that's the only reason that's that's why he's successful too. So it's a Colin McHugh sort of thing at a higher level in my estimation because I think his upside's still higher because uh, his fastball is better than than McHugh's for sure, and so listen you ride him until until you can't anymore. It's probably going to be a short burst here, maybe two or three more years where he's really good, if that, and then we'll kind of start to see uh, fits and starts from him. 
but I think we can get another full season out of him with big strikeouts. That offense should be better. So all of a sudden a 13 and 14 record might turn around a bit and, 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 and you could get 16 wins. I mean, you don't project wins and the offense isn't great, but uh, the fact that he logged 13 wins with that crap offense last year is pretty impressive to begin with. It's because <laughs> he went deep into games. Obviously, he got 27 decisions in his 31 starts with, with, with that record. So he's going deep into games. He's getting the decisions. I think the decisions could be a lot better this year uh, because even if you don't love the offense, you have to love it compared to last year. So Ross, you know, I, he's he's expensive for sure, but I don't think he's overpriced. I have my reasons for concern, and there are going to be a lot of times where there are guys I like better that I prefer to take. But if I ever got quote unquote stuck with him, you know, he just was the last guy in my tier, I wouldn't be angry. And, and he is the last guy in my tier sitting 21 through 26, which includes a lot of these guys that we've mentioned Hughes, DeGrom, uh, and Wood. And like I said, if he was the, the fourth available of those and I had to take him, I'd take Tyson Ross because I still think there's a lot to like here, even with the concerns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, and someday he may figure out that's exactly exactly. He's working on it again. The more news came out with that, that that Jason put in his new pitch alert. So, you know, it's something that he's openly discussing and knows that he needs to get better. Uh, and so if he gets that. Whew, then things can get really trouble. So if he can get something else that he can rely on and take some of the heat off of that that major uh, breaking ball usage, then Tyson Ross could be even more devastating than we saw last year. And he was brilliant for runs last year. Let's talk about the the next big things, as I've labeled them. And that's Garrett Cole, Carlos Carrasco, and Julio Tehran. These are three guys that are kind of uh, often sitting firmly in the top 20, at least as far as ADP goes among starting pitchers. But if not, they're, they're kind of just outside of it. And these are the guys that they could really become something special if things pan out kind of how we believe they will pick one of these three here. I believe you're, you're a fan of at least two of them, if not all three. It's funny because I was, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to claim credit. There's a lot of people who like Carrasco. Um, I know the Podhorts have really liked him. I think that you uh, were pretty early on him. Um, you know, you know, I liked him. I know Brad Johnson is 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 full gung ho on on Carlos Carrasco to to repeat. But there, I think there are enough questions for me to not pay ace type prices on Carrasco. I mean, the the big issue for him was command in the past, and you know he did switch um, the breaking ball usage and started using it more than the changeup. Um, and, and, and he can command the breaking ball better. So that might be part of the, of what did it, but also he got a velocity bump from going to the pen and he's not going to necessarily retain that entire velocity when he's pitching for a whole mm-hmm. year. So I, I do think that the velocity bump and the command are enough of a question mark. Whereas I don't really see that question at all with Garrett Cole. I don't, I don't have any questions I, I with was, Garrett Cole. I mean, yeah, just, okay. no, I was, there is a question. I was mark. just about to say that, though, the, the exact phrase. I don't have any yeah. questions with him. What is the question that you it think? Okay, that, and that's fair. That's But that's going to hang over every pitcher. And maybe a little bit more with Cole because of the way he's, you know, he's he's had big breaks every yeah. year and he's only managed. Uh, I mean, last year he, he, he did push it with the minor leagues, did push it to 160. But that's now two straight seasons of 100 of less than 180. So, you know, not quite, um, you know, the the what you would expect out of your ace. But um, it doesn't also mean that there's any in, in, uh, innings limit on him, because if you've made it to 160, 170, you can make it to 190, 200. Exactly. So, um, you know, if he's fully healthy, he's got all the innings he needs. 
There, in terms of Arsenal, he's got two great fastballs. He's, he does something with the grips on the fastballs that he won't show me. That's his um, secret. So he's got, he's got some secret, and he's got, I think, you know, he's got good fastballs. He's got good command of them. They get a lot of, uh, of, of uh, movement, and they, and they also get a lot of ground balls. He's got the swinging strike rate, and he's got the ability to get more swinging strikes if he just decides to throw his off-speed stuff yeah, it's more. His, it's, it's his uh-huh. choice entirely, and that's kind of the one thing I love is that the skills are in place. Garrett Cole could be a – I mean, honestly, uh, of the guys we mentioned so far, I think he and, and Matt Harvey have a legitimate shot, not just a chance because any, any of them have a chance, I guess, but a legitimate shot at actually taking the number one crown this year from Kershaw. Like, I, I think they both have a real shot. He has the stuff. I mean, you're talking about, a, you know, mid-'90s fastball from a starter. And uh, and in in a in a four seam and a two seam, um, you know, you've got a slider and a curve and a change. All three of them have above average whiff rates. And if he just decided to throw them more often, he would his strikeout rate would go up. Uh, you know, he prefers, I think, it's an institutional philosophy with the when it comes to the Pirates to get ground ball exactly. outs and to beat it into the shift and to and to get through the innings quickly and save that arm. Um, but you know, you never know. What when a, a young guy's um, balls or, or whatever will take over? You know, if he's if he's in the Cy Young race, um, you may see the mix to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially if the Pirates are, are flagging or not necessarily there as a team. So I think um, I think yeah, I think you know, and this is why I do what I do in in terms of shopping in the second tiers because I. I think that there is decent turnover. I mean, I know that Gianella, Mike Gianella over Baseball for Texas showed that there's uh, decent value retention among the high, the top pitchers. Um, but I, I can't help but also notice that the, the, all the young guys that become um, aces. Well, and it, it, you know? It's weird right now. I think in this era, it's, it's, it's particularly interesting because we have so many up-and-coming guys who you know, haven't really shown it yet. They kind of have to show that they can retain these skills that we've seen because – you know, it's been one year, like I said, not even a full year, but we're talking about somebody like Cole who could really be that, that, that superstar. And he's not costing the same as the superstars, at least not yet. And again, he's not cheap. He's like the uh, 80th uh, pick off the board by ADP here, 82.4, according to fantasy pros. And they, and they calculate six different websites there. So you're not getting him cheap. But you're not having to spend that that top 50 pick on him, and that's a big distinction for for yourself because you like to stay out of the pitching market those first five rounds. So if you can then swoop around, get a Cole, pair him with a Degrom, are you really that worse off? By the way, Mike Gianella uh, did that just that in the uh, in the labor mix draft. He has both of those guys. But if you do that, plus your offense, are you really behind anybody? That took like a Kershaw early or a Kluber or Scherzer, et cetera, et cetera, because your offense is probably better and your pitching, how far behind is it really? I'd say not that far. So I'm with you on Cole 100%. And, and that's why, you know, uh, that's, you know, also I'm, I'm trying to pull up my number two uh, because in all things pitching, uh, I want quantity. Yes. Um, so maybe I am sacrificing a little upside but what i'm doing is I'm, I'm buying two lotto tickets at that price at that top end price um and i'm not buying the, the most expensive lotto tickets it's sort of how i i work you know you know on the hitting side even i very rarely end up with trout in especially in an auction league because i don't i don't have 
you know, fifty dollars to spend uh, on one guy. I was going to say, yeah, you meant you're, you're using the uh, the lottery ticket analogy, and it's like the actual scratch off lottery tickets. You're not going into the gas station and buying the one that is inexplicably fifty dollars. I can't believe somebody <laughs> would buy fifty dollars uh, uh, of something that they're going to scratch off with a nickel in their car. Um, you're not buying that. You're buying a bunch of those $5 ones, and you can usually win something on those $5 ones. The $1 ones, you don't win very often. And the prizes are exactly. worse on the $1. But the yeah. $5 and $10 ones? I don't like $1 players. Uh, I, in AL-only leagues, I don't like $1 players, and I don't like $50 players. So, uh, so it's not surprising to me at all. And, I, you know, it's, it's, it served me fairly well. I mean, maybe it won't work out this year in AL labor, but I loved that team when I was done. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, all I need is Cole Hamels in the American League, and I'm back in business. Exactly, because then you just – you leverage, you buy him, he replaces Stroman, and you're right back on track. Let's talk uh, our next group here. This is the really good but not flashy. It's kind of a bland name too, by the way. Sorry, I couldn't come up with something that really ties these guys (laughs) together. But this kind of describes – I mean they're all really good. They have a track record, but – nobody's like, man, I'm going to lead my team with them, and it's going to be the best feeling ever, because most of them are veterans. Uh, I guess Sonny Gray is kind of the, the least veteran of them, but it's Gray, James Shields, Hisashi Iwakuma, Gio Gonzalez, and Adam Wainwright. And yes, I bumped Adam Wainwright way down. I know he's mostly in the in the upper tiers that we, we skipped over here for the player discussion, but I think he belongs down here. I, I think there's plenty of risk for him. How do you feel about this grouping? Uh, anybody in here that you're targeting specifically? So that's Gray, Gio Gonzalez, James Shields. Sasha Iwakuma, and then Adam Wainwright. I've talked a little bit about why uh, I don't love Iwakuma this year and that, you know, the sort of hidden injury risk and the, the how his shoulder was basically cut put a couple of years ago and he was throwing 83 in, in Japan. So uh, Iwakuma and Wainwright, I think, strike me as, as injury risks. They're older. Uh, Wainwright is out of that Tommy John, um, uh, what's it called, honeymoon mm-hmm. period. And he just had surgery, and it just seems to be falling off a little bit. Um, they are—I do think they're all in a, in a group. I think that's a decent group, and I think that you know, after you know, I have them placed in among the sexy names that we've been talking about. So, you know, I I did struggle with this when ranking, whereas like you know, I love Alex Wood and Jacob Degrom, and James Shields is getting older, and his changeup hasn't been as good as it's been. But James Shields is in San Diego, and he's been the same guy almost every mm-hmm. year. I, I, sa- so, same issues, by the way. That I sprinkled these names within yeah. the, like you said, the sexy names. But at the, when I push come to shove, I'm like, do I really have to take, or should I really be taking Degrom over James Shields? And the answer for me is probably no. So that's why I have Shields in that same tier, uh, two ranks above Degrom. Yeah, exactly. Same same deal for me. I, I think uh, of the group that you just said. Um, Shields, Shields is my pick. It's weird that his changeup, you know, everyone says it's the best right-handed changeup in the game and it's not Not, anymore. It's like, not even close. Um, but his cutter has gotten better and just the, the fact that he's a a veteran that's managed to make it work is, is okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and he's in a great park. So I, I think that, um, I think that you know you can't uh, discount the value of going to the National League and, and playing in Petco and getting those nice night games in the Marine yeah, layer. So that needs to really be taken into consideration because that's going to push off uh, or, or at least hide some of his skills decline as he gets older for at least the next year or two, I think, and really at least keep him at the level that we've seen. If not, 
improve them a little bit, even if it's artificially. I don't care if it's artificially because the numbers still count. So even if you know his his xFIP uh, is a little bit higher, and you're thinking, well, maybe there's going to be a decline. The fact that he's still pitching in San Diego, I, th- I don't think the skills will completely implode. Shields is still someone to really like. For me, it's it's Gio in that group. I really like Gio Gonzalez. I think he's been the forgotten gnat a little bit. And uh, yeah, he had the injury last year, so he only threw 159 innings, I think, but then 196 uh, to 200 in the four years before that, when he really established himself as a stud, you know, brought the walk rate down below four for over the last three years. In fact, it's been three and a half or better, which I know that's not even great, but from where he was, you know, he's somebody that can make that work because he doesn't allow a lot of hits. And so it still works out to a quality whip. He's got the strikeouts. Again, you get that boost for facing those two minor league teams in, or minor league lineups at least that both have some some decent pitching, Phillies with their bullpen and uh, Braves with their rotation. But the, the lineups are, are complete garbage. He gets a boost for that. He's already good as is. I really like Gio Gonzalez this year. You know, he had, he had a better strikeout minus walk rate than Adam Rainwright, Marcus Stroman, Julio Teron, James Shields. Um, you know, Alex Cobb. So, you know, if you were doing it based straight on, on strikeouts minus walks, I don't think that's a great idea. But if you were, um, you know, Gio Gonzalez is a great pick. All right. Now we just have uh, a small grouping here. It's two guys, same team. They're the Tiger questions, and they're really going to decide the season for that club. Justin Verlander and Annabelle Sanchez, what are you doing with these two guys right now? You know, I, there's part of me that says, you know, there's no way Verlander's coming back. Even the projection systems have have uh, have, have have moved on. I mean, uh, I'll interrupt you quickly. Even if you are are fully in the in the camp of do not look at spring numbers, they don't mean anything. You still can't be pleased with what you're seeing out of Verlander because even if you give up, uh, even if you give him a pass on some of the numbers. The stuff doesn't look good either, even when you're watching him. He's, he's, the command isn't there right now. And so that's problematic for, for those of you, uh, in the camp that are – he's going to come back to at least some level. And I'm among those in that camp, and I'm starting to have my patience tested with him. Yeah, at the same time, some of the subjective things he's saying about you know finding his curveball and stuff you know, are at least somewhat appealing. Yes. So, um, you know – he is a, a little bit like CC uh, Sabathia to me. How do you Sab- say that? I say, I say Sabathia. Sabathia, but sometimes I accidentally no, I say Sabathia. And I think I've, I think I've gotten in my own. I think it's Sabathia. Uh, I think that one's right. Yeah, Sabathia. CC. <laughs> uh, so CC, I think CC and Verlander, if you took uh, their names off of their player page, you might, you might be calling for, for bounce backs on them. Um, and Verlander is a little bit younger and, and uh, more svelte, um, so uh, maybe uh, maybe you can still dream on it. Uh, from where I've seen him go, um, I might be interested. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's that's driven I think my interest. Podhorts got him. Podhorts got him in 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 tout. Um, was it Podhorts or somebody got him in? In, in a tout uh, draft, I don't know if it was this weekend, but one of the one of the uh, either online or, or or draft snake drafts got him just super oh, late. Oh, I think that was like the tout mix. Let me let me look that up while you're talking. Go ahead. Yeah, I think in our draft somebody got him, um, you know, just as a, like SP five or six, which is crazy. 
I mean, yeah, it's, even it's, in a mixed league, that, I mean, 15. the value there. Okay, no, he was already back up nicely in uh, in tout mixed. He went in the 12th round, but in a, I think it was maybe it was labor mixed. You're thinking of? He went in the 18th round. And, yeah, and that that's that's, that's crazy. Yeah. What about Annabelle Sanchez yeah, I, then? Because obviously health is the concern with him, but the stuff when he pitches, he was still very good last year. Uh, he's he's been he's been healthy through spring, you know, get, getting things done. Again, the numbers are fine. I, I I wouldn't get concerned myself with them one way or the other. But the stuff looks good. What do you think about him? Obviously, we saw that big standout season in 2013 but that's probably going to stand as his outlier because the strikeouts were through the roof everything was clicking for him he doesn't have to be that to be useful though with the price depressed i think Annabelle sanchez is even a worthier target than somebody like verlander to be quite honest it's true because you know my my big problem with Annabelle sanchez going into last year was that uh, people seem to forget that he was a slap um labrum tear guy um, but yes, he was that guy a long time ago. So, you know, if Pineda goes out and throws, uh, three or four 190, uh, inning seasons like Sanchez did, then maybe we'll forget that about Pineda too. So, um, but I did think that, that it would come back to haunt him at some point. And so last year I wasn't willing to pay market rate. Um, and, uh, I had probably zero shares of that, of that season, even though it was, it was decent when he was in, of course. This year, uh, since you'll be mostly paying for 150, 140 innings, um, I think it's uh, worth the investment, actually. I, and I think I'd rather do that than um, Verlander, because at least the swing strikes were there, the command was there, most of the, the pitches were there, and it was just a question of health last year, and it wasn't, it didn't um, sort of come into his performance. Yeah, the, the, the stuff is on track, whereas we're all over the map with Verlander's stuff and perhaps his mental piece with it because of how much he's struggling, so... I always say I'd rather bet on a on a skill set that's in place with health being the missing piece than vice versa. And uh, I think Sanchez is the, is a perfect example of that. All right, this last group here. This is another group of of track track record slash injury risks. Um, and I'm going to ban you from picking one guy because I, I I know you would pick him, and you've already talked enough about him. And this group includes Mike Fires, Derek Holland, Drew Hutchison. That's who's banned, of course. Michael Pineda, <laughs> Danny Salazar, and Colin McHugh. And by the way, for those of you that have never heard Eno discuss Drew Hutchison, either go through his archives or go through our par- podcast archives because we have discussed him. I'm not banning him for any reason other than the fact that Eno's feelings on him are very well known uh, to the point where now if he comes up in a draft uh, or an auction that Eno's in, we're just expecting Eno to pay the final price, whatever it is. So uh, out of the remaining five guys in that grouping, who do you want to discuss? Yeah, something occurs to me here, and you know, in my analysis, something that might be a blind spot, something that I know is a blind spot, and but it's something that's very hard to quantify and it's very hard to follow is command. Definitely. And, and the reason the command is so hard is because it's not just walks per nine. You know, command is about placing the ball exactly where you want it, um, which is often outside the zone. So it's not zone percentage. It's not walks per nine. And the reason I bring it up now is because I look at guys on this list that I've been out on uh, a lot, and that's Derek Holland and Michael Pineda. And, and then and I look at Michael Fires, whose career has been up and down. And I think the reason those guys have worked, the reason that it has worked for them when they've been in and when they've been healthy is because of command. I mean, it, 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 like, honestly, if you look at their 
I guess Fires has a, a decent uh, arsenal, but in terms of his fastball, that's a problem. And if you look at Pineda, he's fastball slider, and the changeup has a terrible shape, doesn't look good, doesn't have a good velocity gap, but has been doing okay recently, and uh, Pineda's been fine without it. And then you look at Derek Holland, and all of his pitches are crap, except for the fastball and the, and the curve. But he throws like four pitches, but the but one of his fastballs and his, and his curve are, are good, and everything else is... is or this is slider, sorry, not the curve. So, um, you know, their arsenals all have problems, but the reason they've done it is, is command. So I think that's, and I think even if you look at, like, say, a Justin Masterson season where he's been good or when he's been bad, I think the command is kind of the missing thing. But then if you think about Justin Masterson, that's one guy who didn't have the same command from one year to that, the next. That's why it's so tough, though. That's why you, you admit that it's a blind spot, but it, it's tough to quantify, and it's tough for guys to hold it. I mean, it drives everything. Fastball command specifically, I think, kind of drives everything. In fact, anytime you look at a breakout, you might look at one secondary pitch that really kind of transcended and, and had a big strikeout rate and really boosted the guy's season. But by and large, a lot of those breakouts are started by their fastball command coming up and letting them get to those secondary pitches, especially with these guys who we We've seen have nasty stuff, you know, like a Carrasco. His secondary stuff was yeah. electric last year, but it was really set up by the fact that he actually had a fastball he could trust regularly, not just velocity. And then it sets up the secondary stuff. So uh, I agree look, with you on that. Look at Salazar and look at Salazar not being able to make Bingo. that jump, and and having the same sort of raw stuff, but um, you know, just missing high in the zone and giving up homers and. And I think it's particularly important for me with Derek Holland. And I, and I may have, you know, shot myself in the foot. I have, I have traded away a couple shares of Derek Holland because I One said, to me. well, I said, here's a lefty fastball slider guy who had a velocity bump and is now starting to see the velocity go. Lefties see the platoon advantage half the time and his change is no good. So, or more than half the time. So I'm seeing a guy who's going to start giving up homers. Because he's in Texas, he's not going to be throwing 94 forever, and he's only fastball slider. But, you know, what if he can back foot that slider often and not let it drift over the zone? Um, I mean, that seems to be how he's, how he's been made his money so Definitely. far. And, and, you know, I watched some, some I think it was Steve Carlton um, video. And Carlton, Carlton was fastball slider. I don't even know that they, they showed another pitch. They just it was it was on the on the MLB network the other day. It was just fastball slider, but he kept back footing that. And thing. it was so filthy. Like so it's disgusting. Filthy. And uh Yeah, so it's like uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I obviously I'd be on hutch because I think the command is there and he has the nice wide arsenal that I look for and, and that's good. But when it comes to the rest of them, you know, I'm stymied and, and in fact I might just reach for McHugh because um, I don't think that his, his command has really been an issue over his career, and, and it's very easy to point to why he broke out. And, and you know, as long as he, his arm stays in one piece, he, uh, he seems like he was ready to well, go again. again. And, and he's but another one, though. I don't think McHugh costs the same as the rest of these What's guys. What's that? I don't think that McHugh costs the same as some of the rest no, of that, these guys. No, that's what really helps with him. In that, and like I said, these aren't tiers of pitchers that they're all in the same uh, cluster. I, I group them kind of by their profile, not so much by where they're being drafted. McHugh, again, we talk about the two breaking balls, but it's the fact that he added a couple ticks of his, uh, to his fastball and commanded it better that really set him on that path to, to leverage those two breaking balls. So, Drop the 
seamer, drop the yep. two seamer. And, and just said, you know what, this yeah. four seamer at 93 is going to have to be enough. I'll spot it and then I'll go breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball, and, and it, it'll work. So, um, all right, that's going to wrap us up because we're, we're, we're up over an hour now. Uh, I had one smaller group that uh, it was just three guys. We'll bump them to the next time when we'll really be getting deep into guys. We'll talk those on Thursday. So for those of you with drafts this weekend, we're really going to get into some next level guys. They should really be able to help you uh, either the later rounds in mixed leagues or even kind of the middle rounds in some of those deeper leagues. So, you know, we'll be back in a couple days to talk pitchers again. Yes. And I just heard my child well, wake up. That, so. the, the timing was perfect. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Yeah.